And uh, welcome back. If you're uh, tuning in, as thousands of people have been doing, this is Elite Business Live. Uh, thank you for your uh, attention throughout this morning. We've had all sorts, haven't we? We've had the founder of Huel getting us thinking about how he scaled that business. So I guess we've gone from probiotics to probots on the tech front, haven't we? Can you keep up? I mean, it's exhausting for me, I have to say. My mind has been absolutely bombarded with all these things. I'm going to introduce some people to the stage. And it's a great honor, actually, because I've known about all of these businesses since really early in their growth and in their existence. And what is genuinely inspirational for me is that they've just gone on and on and on to do amazing things. So we're going to be talking about talent. I'll tell you who's there, but welcome back, everybody. Why don't we give our next four guests a huge round of applause as they come to the stage to talk about talent. Welcome up. Come on. Welcome up. Here we go. Kate and Timo. I'm going to sit in the middle. Come on down, Kate. Welcome back. Hello, Rachel Cruz. Welcome. Right. Now, what I'm also going to do is, because, I mean, this is Entrepreneur Central as well here, so um, I'm going to get you in your own words as well about your businesses. But let me just tell you who's here. Kate Cox is the Chief Marketing Officer of Moneypenny. Hands up if you've heard of Moneypenny. Of course, you have 007, but also handling calls and making life a bit easier uh, for many, many people around the world. So Moneypenny, smashing it as a business. Timo, well, Timo Bolt, what can I say? Founder of Gusto. Hands up if you've heard of Gusto. It's not a competition, don't worry, Timo. Yes, of course we have. Uh, uh, your food boxes are genuinely making life easier for many people, and I bet are going through uh, the roof. But what a brilliant journey. Timo Bolt is, of course, the CEO and the founder of Gusto. Uh, so welcome, Timo. Uh, Rachel Carell is the founder of Coru Kids. Uh, I'm going to say hands up if you've heard of Coru Kids. It's a brilliant platform, childcare central. Yeah, we've got some work to do, but it's uh, no. Uh, but it is going from strength to strength. Amazing funding, very, very happy customers, and I'm delighted to welcome Rachel up to the elite uh, business stage about her journey. And again, I've dished out a number of awards to this organization, Talentful, the co-founders here, Chris Abbas. You've got some amazing clients. You look after, transfer-wise, um, you look after all sorts. I think Google DeepMind might be a client. Are we allowed to say that? Okay, just about all right, get <laughs> shot so. afterwards, all right. Uh, but there you have it, there you have it. Kate and Timo and Rachel and Chris, please give them a warm welcome. Here they are. In your, thank you, in your own words, just remind us about the essence of the business, but because we are a business audience, if you don't mind, just a quick reflection on where the business is today, and you might describe that in any terms you feel comfortable with, whether it's people, some numbers, whatever you like. But Timo, could I start with you, Gusto? Sure, thanks, um, thanks a lot for having me. Um, we are on a, on a mission to be the most loved way to eat dinner. Uh, for the last seven years, uh, since I founded the company, we've tried really, really hard to make lives better, easier, and more healthy across all of the UK. Um, our core customers are female, 35 to 55 years old, living all across the UK. And uh, you go on to the website, choose whatever you like to eat, and we send you all the ingredients uh, in exact portions. We build the most choice in this market, the most uh, convenience, the lowest price point. Uh -huh. So we're trying really hard to be mass market. We're 500 people now. Okay. Uh, we're going to 1,200 people really rapidly. So we're hiring 300 people this year alone, uh, and then another 400 in the next two and a half years. Um, so it's really good fun, and Amazing. it's a roller coaster. It is a roller coaster. So, and, and just so I get a sense on the 500, the picking and packing of your ingredients, you count that in-house? Those are amongst the 500? To a large extent, yeah. To a large extent, fantastic, great. Okay. But tech is now the biggest function with 60% of people in technology. 
How interesting. I would not have predicted that. There mm. you go. Thank you, Tima. Uh, Kate, just remind us, Money Penny, the essence of the service and also where you are as a business. Sure. Money Penny was founded 20 years ago. Um, we look after other companies' calls and chats and social media messages. And we want other businesses to see us as their second home. So we, would we source PAs and receptionists for them, and we, we trust those employees to really deliver on behalf of other businesses. So that's why we invest a lot of money in our employee happiness and their engagement. We're getting on towards 1,000 people. We're in the UK and the US, um, and yes, we're growing at about 30% a year. And when you say you're in the UK and the US, does that mean you can have customers beyond those shores? Or are your customers also UK, US? Uh, English language only at the moment. We do take people who want to speak to anyone in English. Fantastic. Yeah. Speaking of English language, Rachel, an adopted Brit. Yes. Just remind us of the Koru story. Uh, yeah, so uh, I set up Koru Kids. Can we hear, Rachel? Are you happy? Not quite. Forgive me. Here we go. Just give us, give us another. Okay. Here we are. We can. Here we go. Thank you. Forgive me. That's all right. Thanks very much. Um, I set up Cory Kids about three years ago, um, and our mission is to um, rebuild a much better childcare system. I was working as a CEO of a healthcare company when I had my first baby and realized how exhausting, expensive, terribly constructed the childcare system was, and looked around, tried to figure out who was working on making it better. I thought I would join them, couldn't find anyone, um, and realized I had to quit and found it myself. So that's what we do. We um, focus on two things right now. One of them, our first service is after-school nannies. Um, today, around uh, well over a 1,000 of our nannies uh, in London will pick up children from school at about 3.30, take them home to their houses and look after them there. Uh, and our second service, which just launched, is for younger kids, for the babies and toddlers. And we've created a free online tool um, to help families share nannies, um, which is a, a beautiful way of doing childcare. Nice, and quite a social and, aspect to it. Yeah, very much. Um, and uh, our team um, is roughly about 60, 70 people. Okay, got it. Headquartered? Headquartered in London. Excellent. Very good to know. Thank you very much, Rachel. Uh, Chris, just remind us, Talentful, yeah. you serve some amazing companies. Yeah, so we're essentially trying to transform the recruitment industry, and we do that by placing teams of talent experts on-site with some of the world's most ambitious brands, so that includes the Google DeepMinds, TransferWise, Starling Banks. Um, so... On a daily basis, we advise these companies on their talent challenges. But I guess I've also had the pleasure of seeing my own company grow to 150 people over the last four years, which has brought quite a lot of challenges as well. Um, and we've recently launched in Berlin. I've recently moved to San Francisco to set that office up too. So, yeah. And why Berlin? So Berlin is our kind of natural next European step mm -hmm. in terms of being a tech hub. And I, I guess our overall ambition is to be in all the major tech hubs globally. So yeah. that was the next step in Europe, and then we moved to the West Coast. Very cool. So watch this space. That's talentful. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a very topical question, which will be on our minds this week. Not just who we work with, but where people work. I'd like your latest thoughts, because you would have been thinking about this, on what we might think of as flexible working, which I realize doesn't just mean working from home, but it does pertain to where people work. Timo, this has been on your mm. mind. And let's, let's get everyone's sort of thought starters on this, about how you make the choices you make. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's really simple. We um, hire the very best talent that's out there. We uh, try really, really hard to build the greatest culture that's possible. I think that's the killer app we've kind of created, and it's creating the moat around the castle. 
um, the, the business. We have amazing talent. Ultimately, they're all grown up. I couldn't care less where they sit and you know, how they work, and some might have kids, others um, might look after their parents or do whatever. And I think in today's world, you know, it's all about results. It's not about FaceTime. Okay, okay. So as long as you build a meritocracy where everyone's ideas and results matter, it shouldn't really matter where they sit. Fascinating. So that's a very, if I may mm. say, quite an extreme position, mm. whereas other companies might value the face-to-face -face of HQ. Let's give us a quick sense of it from Moneypenny's perspective. You thrive off people being anywhere they want, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. Does so that rule translate to HQ? So we do have 700 people in our North Wales office in Wrexham, um, and we have people in Atlanta and Charleston in the US. At the moment, mostly our office-based, um, but we've just invested in some very good cloud technology to manage voice calls so we can manage um, remote working as well. Okay, so can you see it going into the Timo Bolt vision of the future where they're wherever they choose to be? Um, yes, I think there is a benefit of all being together and working together as a team. So there are some real benefits about face-to-face. -face. Right, like what? Um, building culture, team support, um, all that good stuff. Um, well, hang on. Timo's nodding because culture matters mm. to you, Timo. So can you build culture without face-to-face? I think it's challenging. I agree with her point. I think um, some kind of critical mass of time together is extremely important. I mean, leaders in today's world are predominantly coaches, and in order to coach someone, you have to deeply understand what your issues are and what your topics mm -hmm. are. And I think especially if you're in your you know, early 20s, there's a huge benefit of like seeing some role modeling, coaching, mentoring. Um, so to me, it makes sense to have some, some days. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Rachel, your thoughts on this? We've adapted a lot of our processes to try and be remote first um, to quite an extreme degree even to, so that even when, in, in some cases, even when a meeting involves people who are only in the same building, we still do it remote first. Um, so hang on, say that again for my benefit, sorry. Oh, it's, like, it's quite an extreme version. Okay. Uh, we think it's so important to be able to build up our remote muscle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that we all should be building anti-fragile businesses, so mm -hmm. businesses that are resilient. And for me, being able to recruit from the world and, and work remotely is, is a really important part of that. And so we are trying to very deliberately build our remote muscle. I see it as a key strategic pillar of, of our talent. And uh, in order to force ourselves to do that, not every single meeting, we do, we do have some, that, well, many that are not like this, but for, for some of our meetings where there's a remote person usually in the meeting, but even if they're not working today, we have the, the meeting remotely anyway. So what that looks like is, um, for example, our product demos, um, we do all them remotely, ev literally even when everyone's there. Interesting. And, uh, and what that looks like, if you were to walk into our, our office, what would you see? You'd see everyone sitting at their desk with their headphones on, watching a screen share, and the be someone in a phone booth who would be screen sharing and who would be talking, mm -hmm. doing a doing a broadcast. Even though they're just yeah, ten, ten minutes away. exactly. And to the point about culture, we've we've um, we tried some tactical things which I think work quite well. So um, we implemented uh, Fika, which is apparently a Swedish tea and coffee thing um, or coffee anyway. Um, it basically just <coughs> means having a cup of tea. Um, but what we do is we do that um, at four o'clock. Um, and if you're working remote, we've got a, a guy who's working remotely from. Bristol, he will stop what he's doing and at four o'clock he'll open up the hangout and he'll have his cup of tea. And the key thing is there is no agenda. It's not a meeting. Oh, I it's love it. just 
cup so of tea these time. rituals and rhythms are very interesting mm -hmm. for me around mm -hmm. developing culture. Briefly, Chris, on this flexibility, we can work anywhere, can't we? Yeah, I agree with the principle. I think, firstly, you've got to be assessing the right talent to work in that way. Um, you know, people that are used to working autonomously, people who can report up, use data to show you know, the work they're doing. I think that's like the first step. But I also think a lot of companies think they can just flick a switch and become remote if they're used to working mm. in a different way. And I think technology has to play a really big part in that, mainly for engagement of your employees. I think if you've got you know, a satellite office somewhere, people working remotely, if you've got poor VC technology mm. or you're not communicating well with those employees, they can become disengaged very quickly. Yeah, Chris, I can see an elephant trap coming up here because <laughs> how do we personalize the rules mm. and treat everyone equally? Those are on a collision course, aren't they? You say, yeah. John, I can't trust you to work at home. You know what you like. <laughs> well, I think there has to be an overall policy for the whole company that's relatively uniform. Well, then how does that tally with personalizing it in your first comment? I don't understand. The, per the personalization isn't about like, each individual. It's about finding the people coming into your business in the first place. I see. Okay. So yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. assessing the right talent um, at scale, essentially. So, so, so when you're fighting for talent, that's the old cliche, isn't it? Who are you up against? Because the old wisdom goes, you know, you're fighting against all these tech companies. So, Timo, how are you persuading somebody to join Gusto and turn down which in your view, isn't an inferior offer, mm. but seen through a certain lens might be. What's the secret? I mean, I see it as a huge privilege that people are joining Gusto. At the end of the day, everyone here is hugely intelligent and, and could join any company out there. Um, so I agree with the premise. I, I do think that in today's world, it's all about um, employee customer satisfaction, right? like E, uh, NPS scores, um, and deeply understanding what, what talent wants from the company, and then almost entering into a different contract that's beyond um, mm -hmm. here's your salary. So this is an internal measurement that you're using mm -hmm. and tracking. Very interesting. Absolutely. So, so, so what, I mean, you know, let's do something that you're, you know, your investor was like, Tim, I can't believe you told them that technique we use. How do you get the best people to say yes to you and not to the competitor or to anyone else? I mean, I, I do think at the end of the day, it's understanding deeply what matters to people. Is it learning? Is it promotions that happen faster? Is it w whatever it is? Is it the pension? And I think personalizing the journey and really kind of creating something that's special for them. So we've always tried to build a place where people get promoted faster than anywhere, where people really, really are measured on results, not FaceTime mm -hmm. um, or hierarchy, and uh, making it fun on the way. Because I think you know, personal life and work is converging really fast, so you have to kind of make it fun to some extent. Okay, so, so on that then, in terms of, Rachel, on this same question though, around attraction, particularly when there are competing forces for an employee's um, decision, what do you do? Yeah, so for us, it almost always comes down to our mission. Um, so I would say about 75% of my team joined specifically because they feel very passionate about the idea of um, supporting parents and particularly women. And they feel very much that our society would be better if there were more women in, lead in leadership positions. And, that, and I would say that's about 75%. Then there's probably about 20% who joined because of the child development part of our mission. So part of what we want to do is rebuild a, a better curriculum for early years. And a lot of people get, get, feel very passionate about that. And then the remaining 5%, I think they just really like the problem solving that we have. Mm -hmm. um, so, there's, so that's kind of the, the thing. And then um, just on your, your question about any tactics, I, I do have one story that I, I'm really proud of that I can share because I think it's kind of funny. That we, we had this one guy who um, we absolutely loved 
and we knew that he was going to have to take a big pay cut um, to come and uh, join us. And uh, it was on a bit of a knife edge whether or not he would do it. And we, we did everything we could think of to kind of sell the opportunity. But it was one of those moments of like, mm, you know, we really want to throw everything we've got at this. Mm. And uh, so what, in the end, what we decided to do was make him a, um, make him a video. It was about three minutes long. And we've got roughly about 60 people, let's say, in the, in the company. And it was every single person in the company saying, <laughs> telling wow. him why they thought that he should, but very quickly with like 10 seconds or something. You know, and, and, and what and, happened? And he took, the, he took the job. And I, I genuinely think our video pushed him over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it did. It would have been the, the biggest of a guilt trip if would have said, uh, no, that, that's amazing. So, so, Chris, I mean, I'm conscious of money pennies. Uh, techniques as well, but what would your advice be yeah. to Rachel and Timo as they build in, in competition in some cases with yeah. these amazing global tech companies? So I think the candidate experience, if you're looking at like the talent attraction part, is really important. I think having someone like fully dedicated to that part is mm. really important because it's a full-time job. Um, but I think there's three things that we like to focus on with clients, and that's speed, transparency, and personalization. So speed of process is, is, is quite important. Mm. You know, you've got competitors that will move quickly on offers, and if you're waiting, you know, a week to give feedback to a candidate, that's not good. Um, you know, transparency about what the process will look like, mm -hmm. so not adding extra stages last minute to candidates, that really throws people off. Yeah. Um, and then personalization, so how you're reaching out and engaging to candidates, that being personalized, mm -hmm. but then the journey, exactly like you've just done, yeah. are being highly personalized. And on that final point, how proactive are the other three of you on talent acquisition? Because we can't just wait for people right. to apply. Can I add, may I add one more? I, I think ultimately Facebook and Google, the perception in the world today is that those companies are morphing towards oil and gas and tobacco. We're not there yet fully, right? <laughs> but I, I think that the, the perspective globally has shifted quite dramatically. So I think if you are a purpose-led company, so our purpose has always been every meal makes the planet better off. And you know, technology um, guys are particularly sensitive to this. So if you're all of a sudden working on taking 50% of plastic out of the boxes, mm -hmm. it's a really powerful motivation to it's join, as long as you kind of roughly match on uh, compensation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to what extent are you waiting for the best people to apply, Timo, or do you have to be on the front foot? Yes. We, I mean, we, we go after the best people. Um, we uh, have an internal recruitment team. Um, we go to universities. I personally give guest lectures at a couple of universities. We do uh, lots of events every year. I think being out there is hugely important. We're building our own kind of grad scheme, yeah. intern scheme. Um, an academy internally. We have the Gusto Talent Academy um, where we train people. We hired our first learning and development leader to really double down on learning. So I think this stuff is really powerful. Really interesting, Tony. Um, Kate, what, what does Moneypenny do to secure the very best? Um, well, we're fortunate in that we, well, we have to hire 15 people every two weeks um, over the year because of over this year because of the amount we're growing. But we're fortunate because we get 4,500 CVs um, in through the door. Um, and so, what sorry, over that same period? Uh, over a year. Over a year, right. Over a year. So we're recruiting about 200 to 300 this year. Yeah. Um, and what we do is really focus on um, trusting our people. So we want our people to um, have the trust of the businesses that they take the calls of. So yeah. we give them ultimate trust. No scripting, nothing. We want them to make a real relationship with the business owner that they're um, working through. And that really helps get people in, because the people who are really good at the job that we want them to be are people people. They love talking on the phone, they love answering calls, they love helping, um, and it's really 
building that into um, our culture. So we've invested quite heavily in the Sunday Times um, best company to work for. Yes. So we've been there ever for the last decade, and that's really important because that gives us feedback on what other companies are doing and where we can improve. Can I just, and, and it's not to pick you up on it, it's just to notice that phrase, people, people. Yeah. Because clearly in your business, when you're handling calls for clients, it matters enormously. I'm just going to notice that some of the greatest talent in the world don't rank their communication skills um, at the top of the list. And in other words, I worry that they might be overlooked in traditional recruitment processes, which can seem from a distance like taking someone out for a series of coffees. So how do you ensure that you don't overlook, or how should we ensure that we don't overlook some of the most talented and neurodiverse people in the world? Rachel, how do you do it? Yeah, I think about this a lot. I think there's a very strong bias towards extroverts um, in, that's very well known. And also, we, we are all, as humans, biased towards people who are like us. Um, and you know, in my case, there's further bias towards ex extroverts. So I think um, something we try to be very aware of, um, and we've designed our um, processes to try and mitigate that as much as we can. So um, our, our product manager process, for example, um, we go through um, very intense short interviews, which are highly structured. How short I, is short? Um, like 20 minutes, but there's four questions uh, four or five questions and, and we'll, we'll say, we're going to spend about four minutes on this question, mm -hmm. we're going to spend about five minutes on this question. And I've really come on a journey regarding that. i, I got to say, I started off thinking, oh, you know what, you, you just, you talk to the person, you kind of follow the questions wherever it goes mm -hmm. and you have an interesting conversation. And I am now such a convert to the more structured the process, the better, because I can see myself getting more and more highly calibrated um, as, as we go through. And I can see the, the ratio of data to time that we get from that interview right. um, is, is incredibly different. Yeah, and could I just ask you, before I pass to Chris, Chris makes the point about having a dedicated people person. Presumably that's very challenging at the early stages, or have I missed the hint that it could be the founder? I mean, what do you make of all this? Um, yeah, so I think it, def it has to be the founder initially, um, and, then, uh, and then in my case, I have a COO who is incredible on this stuff as well. Um, so that allowed us to put off having a dedicated people person for, for quite a long time. Uh. And then what we did, we went, we went over the last six months, we've, we've had a huge um, kind of step change in hiring, which now we've got to a good plateau before our next step. So what, do you say, what do you mean a big step in well, we went numbers? From, yeah, we went from roughly around about 30 to, to around about 60 very quickly. And so I got someone in on a, um, about a four-month contract who was extremely talented, extremely experienced, extremely expensive, but I think worth it. And he kind of took us from here to here. And then because that was a contract, um, you know, I've, he's now gone off to do the same thing yeah. in, in other places. And we're kind of good for a while now, I got think. It. Okay. Chris, just briefly on the neurodiversity question, but also when a scale-up ought to be thinking about a dedicated resource. Yeah, I think you know removing any objectivity from the process or as much as possible is a really positive thing to do. Having structure in that process is is a way to do that. But I think having representatives of each kind of kind of person or group of people in the interview process is also really important. You know, if you're going to a uh, an interview and everyone in there is kind of white male extrovert, then you know, they're obviously going to judge people in a certain way in that interview. Um, so you want to have like a, a representational group of people in those interviews. Um, I feel like you need someone owning recruitment when you're, I, I just think like 10 roles or more. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I feel like recruitment is a full-time job, especially if you're looking for very hard to fill talent. You're having to practice, practically source those people, coordinate interviews, give feedback to candidates, you know, build the employer brand. Um, and I think to do that effectively at scale, you need someone owning it. Right, interesting. So I'm looking out for questions in one minute uh, for, from our guests. It might be about something someone said. It might be something that's on your mind on this whole talent question. So I'm looking out for questions. I'm going to ask you as panelists to get rid of every perk in your whole company, <laughs> but keep one. What's the perk you're going to keep? And then we're going to go to the gentleman two rows from the back. Come on, Kate. What uh, perk do you refuse to let go of? Oh, it could be for personal reasons or because you know it lifts people up. It's trust, actually. So it's not a thing. It's just trusting people. That's okay, the thing well, okay. So I get that as a takeaway from the panel. But yeah. there must be certain things you offer to employees. Gym membership, bring in your dog, all those things. But actually, what's top of the tree? Oh, that is food. Food. It's, is it? Yeah, giving free breakfasts, um, making sure the space is social so people can interact. That sort of thing. It's always do it over food. All right, okay. Top perk, Chris? So we have something called Talent Day. So one day a month. We spend the whole day bringing in external trainers, guest speakers, um, management consultants who yeah. kind of take our people through this journey of learning in a day. Um, and that's been really great. What a brilliant idea. Retention, you do it once days, a month? Once a month, yeah. Brilliant. Rachel, top perk. Uh, right now, it's sanitizer in the office. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, I did buy loads of it about three weeks ago, though, so we have a lot. Um, so I would say our um, parties when we hit milestones. Right, okay, celebrate together. Like it, very interesting. What did you do? Uh, it's always different, but the last one was really fun. We, we did it in the office, because we're very frugal, and we got loads of alcohol in the office and soft drinks and uh, pizzas, and we got a lot of art supplies, and we all sat around an enormous big table, and people literally just painted, and then we put the paintings um, on the walls. And I've got to say, I was completely blown away by the talent that was displayed. I, I love I'd it. I never <laughs> dreamed that they were so good. I love it. It sounds messy, but I love it. That's great. I love it. Great celebration. Timo, top perk. We, um, once a quarter, we have what we call Super Day, which lasts for two days, um, in which I and the leadership team spend two full days with meeting every single person, sitting down with them. Uh, we symbolically break bread afterwards. Mm -hmm. We um, have a town hall when we give updates. We all go out and have fun. Um, I think that's really, really magical because it's a big team now, and still doing this really yeah. you know, gets you everyone together. To, you continue to yeah. I love it. Um, I hope there's still that question. There you go. So feel free to say where you're from. You don't have to. Yeah, my name's Jody Downs. I work for Matty Early Woods, and we actually advise companies on employee benefit structures. Yes. So, Ollie, you've slightly stolen my thunder, actually. Uh -oh. um, <laughs> only on the basis that we find that employees look for more than just salary. They're looking for talent days, they're looking for charity days, etc. So, slightly repeating what you've already done, but what other things do you see your employees looking for over and above pensions and, and general pay? Good question. So let, let's riff a bit on that. And is there another question sitting in the room? Let's, oh, good. We've got two there. So I see you just about five rows, six rows back. Thank you. In the dark top. There you go. And then we'll jump forward to the white shirt. Thank you, sir. Great. Please. Hi, I'm Jackie Sanders from Connective Coaching. I'd like to ask, as you're all leaders of people yourself, what are the biggest pain points you find as a leader of people? Great question. Right, biggest pain points. And just second row here, if we whiz that microphone down, I'll ask you to riff a little bit on those perks, or, or you can choose whichever three of the questions you find most attractive. Go on. Thank you, sir. Uh, Andrew Scher from uh, Office Athletes. To what extent are you seeing the uh, introduction of corporate and dynamic corporate well-being? I'm not talking about tick boxes. I'm talking about actually corporate well-being, caring and, and, and nurturing the team. Uh, 
becoming a more and more important part of, of what you do as leaders within businesses. Mm, might be good to look across the people you work with as well on that. Rachel, will you have a crack at any of those? Yeah, um, I think this well-being one is really interesting and I think this is a generational change that I see very strongly. The younger, the, broadly, the younger the staff member, the more they think and care about that. Um, and it's definitely my younger ones that are driving all the, all the chat about that. I think it's something that um, uh, we've done some, some lots and lots on. So um, one example is uh, Headspace, giving, giving a like, meditation app, um, corporate mm -hmm. account to everyone. Um, we've also looked at getting mental health coaches um, to come into the office as well. I think um, on the, it's kind of related to the benefits one, the perhaps unusual benefit that we give um, is around childcare. And um, so we give very, very significant um, discounts. If those of you who are parents will know how much you spend on childcare. UK working parents now spend more on childcare than they spend on their mortgage. <laughs> so it's, you're talking very, very, very big pound um, sums. One of the things we um, slightly struggle with as a business is you should always, as a business, have lots of people who are using your own product. I mean, it's pretty bad if they're not using your own product. Mm -hmm. But actually, um, only about 25% of our team are parents, so 75% of us can't use the product. And so we're kind of mixing this two, giving, giving an incredibly substantial benefit, um, but also making sure that um, our team actually yeah. has a, um, an experience of our product. And one of the things we're going to be thinking about in the next couple of months is how can we make that benefit more um, available and start um, start allowing other companies to basically offer the, offer our childcare to their workers too. Good, love it. Mm -hmm. So this is a good range of questions. Kate, please have a so crack into those. Just picking up that point, it's really important to make the perks tailored. Um, so yes, if you don't have kids, it's... Um, so we have a set amount of money for each employee and they can choose where they want it. That's Ex interesting. Extra pension top-ups, childcare vouchers, fitness, mm. healthcare. So it's really just making it super tailored for our employees so it really fits their lifestyle. Great. And Timo, you talked about well-being being so important internally, even mentioning it. But what, what do you make of this array of questions? Um, yeah, I mean, in a similar way, we've 50% of our employees are buying Gusto boxes every week and obviously for um, a very low price. Um, we also give similar perks to people. They get to choose. Um, but if I may, I'll, I'll just jump to the, to the leadership pain point. Yeah. I do think what's fascinating is you, you start your business and you are the founder and then one day you wake up and you are the CEO of the company and the jobs are very, very different. And I think my biggest learning personally has been that managing yourself before you lead other people is absolutely crucial. Um, so like lifelong learning, I've done an executive MBA on weekends, I'm currently becoming a certified coach, I'm doing a one year diploma, wow. but this whole like understanding your own demons and your shortcomings and how do you hire you know, for strength, not for lack of uh, weakness, how do you build a sounding board, your personal uh, board around you, I think super, super powerful. So, so, so mm -hmm. Timo, before you did mm. that MBA, an advisor could have said, Timo, you've got what you need, we don't need to go off and do this MBA. Knowing what you know now, why were they wrong? Well, I, I think the nature of the challenges change rapidly. We're, we're a company that has um, you know, close to 200 million pounds in revenues. We're, we're pretty much in the FTSE 250 now. And the behaviors you display change. And you're all of a sudden being pushed into communication and, and proper leadership away from managing and doing everything yourself, running yeah. through the door with your hat. And no one prepares you for this. So I think it's your job to 
really be ahead of the curve and then lead um, by example and help others on that journey. So, so that is walking the walk in terms of mm. lifelong learning. Okay, Chris, where are you on these? Well, in terms mm. of, I'm asking you to distill an amazing yeah. client base on pain points, but just give us a sense. Yeah, I think one of the pain points for us as we come through, any business I think that goes through scale relatively quickly is that at one point, your business is very much like a family. You're small, everyone has access to you as a founder, and then you go through this transition where there's more layers between you and those people. Mm. And that can become quite uncomfortable for those people. So I think it's very important that you, you delegate and create a really good leadership team underneath you who can kind of carry that mission, keep people engaged and bought in, but also keep uh, an avenue for people to have a voice and to listen to them, allow them to you know, make recommendations and changes in the business. Um, so that's been really important for us as well. Love it. So um, there was a question and it was closer to the front. If it's still there, might it still be there? Yeah, do you mind? And then, and then we must um, get, get into lunch where we will chat more informally, but please. Hello, I'm Fiona Gillis. We just do it for the live stream. Forgive me, Fiona, thank here, you. Yeah, here it is. I'm Fiona Gillis from Smash, and I just wanted to ask, in the very early days when you were setting up your businesses, um, what were the mistakes that you made in terms of recruiting and bringing in talent, or, to phrase it better, what would you wish you had done slightly differently? Okay, and that's a great question. I'm going to ask our panel to be extra pithy, Rachel. If one of the, and by the way, Rachel, follow Rachel on Twitter. You are refreshingly candid around <laughs> the roller coaster of being a founder. I really appreciate that. But what would you choose? Um, I think, uh, I have to be candid now, don't I? Um, I would have um, hired quite differently in the early days. I come from a very um, commercial operational background, and I made the mistake that I referred to earlier of hiring people who were, I thought I was over it, hiring people who were like me, but I still hired very operational commercial people, and I left it way too late to hire product and tech people. So if I were to do this again, I would hire them literally six months to a year earlier. Okay, now Chris, um, super pithy if you would just yeah. on this, and then we'll go, okay. Yeah, I think hindsight is twenty twenty, but uh, not allowing yourself to make emotional decisions and maybe using data um, to inform how you would like to do stuff. I think very early on, oh. it's easy to get too wrapped up into things Isn't and make assumptions. is hiring quite emotional? Do we need to like the people we work with? Is that a bias? Yes, potentially, but I think you should be bringing other people into the process, not just up to you to okay. like them. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Kate, something so, you've seen, something you've been through yourself? Yeah, I'm not the founder of Moneypenny, but I know when they answer this question, I think they're at the back, um, is give up, the, give up your best people to launch new um, countries, geographies, new product lines. Don't keep the best people to yourself because you can always backfill in a company, yeah. but actually you need real talent, your absolute best to go out and drive new stuff. Yeah, good, and I'm happy that we are gonna be joined by Ed Reeves, co-founder of Moneypenny, uh, today in the building. So thank you, Kate. Timo, something you have learned the hard way? Yeah, you gotta codify your culture. What do you personally really care about and what does the business really care about? And then writing it down and then finding translation mechanisms so we still give people extra holidays for epitomizing our ownership uh, principles. We have a set of nine behaviors. And being really, really specific about this because as the company scales, they can't all understand what you care about. So 50% of your pay and performance is pretty much linked to you living the values of the mm. company. Well, our four guests are going to be sort of swept to one side briefly by Alana Spencer to be interviewed for our online audience. And then after that, we'd love to sort of quiz you a bit more. But there are so many more, um, ladies and gentlemen, would you, would you agree this has been a good panel? Really, really full of gold nuggets. So thank you so much for sharing so openly. Uh, and, and here's to your ongoing success. Thank you, Kate, uh, Timo, to Rachel, and of course, to Chris. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.